Hello and welcome to the Busyness Podcast. My name is Emily Austin. I'm the founder and CEO of a London-based PR agency called Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses and have been fortunate enough in my 13-year career to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my business when I was 22 years old, fresh out of university. Since that time, the world has got louder, our expectations have become greater, and our lives have become busier. Fobbing friends off with the stock answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm so busy, is an attempt to compel, conflate, and convince. But when did being too busy become a mark of status? Why is the goal to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? Are we setting unrealistic expectations for future entrepreneurs and business owners by encouraging them that a maniacal approach to diarising is the standard? This podcast aims to give you a realistic, detailed insight into the honest stories, the failures, the triumphs, the intricacies, the mistakes, the comebacks, the fuck-ups from those set to make their mark, the leaders, movers and shakers, trailblazers and game changers. We cover imposter syndrome, hiring and firing, call-out culture, anxiety, global growth, daily routines and knowing when to quit, choosing the best in the busyness to help you cut through the noise and optimise your success. Hello and welcome to episode four. This week, I sit down with old friends, Ed Williams and Jamie Lane, to discuss the growth of their modern confectionery brand, Candy Kittens. We covered self-awareness, raising your personal skill set, why Candy Kittens wasn't built with the idea of selling out, how to be resilient in the face of very expensive early mistakes, how to work effectively with your co-founder, and holding your line, even when the new shiny things seem more alluring. Ed and Jamie are seasoned entrepreneurs running a fast-growing and exciting business. They're leading the charge in the category, and I hope you get to take away some nuggets of information that help you on your business journey. So I wanted to ask you guys if you could talk a little bit about um, how you actually formed the business, how the idea actually became a reality was it Jamie that it was your idea and you kind of went to find someone like Ed who could be the yin to your yang or did you meet and then come up with the idea and and what was the composition of that in the early days Ed would do you, do you want to take this one um yeah I can do I mean it was definitely Jamie's idea um so Jamie and I met through sort of mutual I think that's friends. quite true if I'm, if I'm I think, well, I think the initial <laughs> the initial idea was definitely Jamie so I would have never have sat there and gone okay I want to start a sweets company and um, Jamie had this sort of concept which was probably a little bit uh, different to what we ended up doing <laughs> but we had Jamie had this idea to start something called Candy Kittens that would um, uh, be um, Jamie, how would you describe it? How would you, what's Candy Kittens? I would what's describe it very easily. For you? I would describe it very easily. It was basically, I had this idea, so I was a big fan of Abercrombie & Fitch, right, which was, and, and actually, it's it's sort of, it's actually You surprised not, me, Jamie. Yeah, listen, I, yeah, I, yeah, I it's quite surprising for people to, such a niche brand like Abercrombie & Fitch, <laughs> really enjoy. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's basically, it was really sexy people selling clothes. That was the idea behind it. Um, 
And I wanted to replicate that in the sort of sweet spot. That was my idea. I wanted to do that because I thought sex sell, sold and I really like sweets. That was honestly what I thought. Um, I went to New York to sort of go uh, on holiday there. Came across a place called Dylan's Candy Bar, which is Ralph Lauren's daughter's sweet shop. Huge thing. It's all over the US. Actually very dated now. Um, and I love the sweet spot. People were spending like three, two hundred, $300 at the cash till and all these different things. I was like, this is crazy. And I always loved sweets my entire life. Anyway, came back to the UK, said to my dad, this is what I want to do. My dad actually credit to him said i think this is a really cool idea sent me back to new york uh with this guy who worked at he actually was one of the guys who um put m&s in the petrol stations we studied the sweet shop we looked at the sweet shop we kind of just had a bit of a jolly there to be honest um i remember it was the world cup so i just watched football but kind of went to this uh sweet store like a few times anyway came back was at university at the time, was basically wanted to set up this whole thing, um, had this vision that it was the mix between Hugh Hefner and Willy Wonka. That was the idea, that I was going to be the new Hugh Hefner. I was going to mm. sell sweets and sexy people were going to stand on the door and it was going to be this amazing thing. Met Ed, um, as I had just joined Made in Chelsea and I was talking about this thing called Candy Kitten, so created a ghost almost. And Ed said, this is a fun idea. Let's not make a sweet shop because that's pretty limited in many ways, if you just have a shop selling sweets, <clears throat> why don't we create packets of sweets, sell them to supermarkets and do it that way? And honestly, when Ed and I met, he showed me packets of sweets and things like that. And it was like a light bulb going in my head. I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. It's fun. It's sexy. It's new. It's different. Um, let's do that. Uh, and that was nine years ago, pretty much. And we're now sitting with you here today. Hello. Hello. So, so Hello. Did, Ed, Ed, did you kind of pitch Jamie, like, this is a good idea, but you probably need a bit more structure and I might be the guy to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think it wasn't, I wasn't pitching necessarily to say, I'm your guy, let's go and do this. It was much more kind of, I suppose, natural and it kind of came really easily. I think that I listened to the, the idea that Jamie's just explained pretty much word for word. And said, okay, let me go away and have a think and come back to you with some ideas. And then came back with this idea of, okay, let's distill that brand but into a into a product and a proper kind of offering that could be sold everywhere, not just in one store. Um, Jamie really liked it. We really got on. One thing led to another. And, and then sort of, I guess, it wasn't probably until three to six months of kind of working away together on it as a pro- kind of like a project that we sort of looked at each other and went, okay, are we really going to do this? Let's, okay, let's go for it. Let's properly put everything in and, and go. It wasn't kind of from day one, I'm pitching for a job or Jamie's pitching for a partner. And I think that's the best way that business partnerships probably come about. If you actually go out there looking for a co-founder or go out there looking for somebody to start a business with we speak to people quite a lot that kind of come to us and go, i really want to start a business but i don't know what business to start and you're kind of like well yeah. that's quite a hard question to answer because you can't just want to start a business you've got to have something you're passionate about or somebody you get on with you want to start a business with in my opinion um so it just really happened naturally i think yeah, I'm, that's sorry that's 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 so true and i think that's really important for people to know is that um, a lot of the time people go looking for a business partner and they say, okay, this person will be getting and things like that. And actually, a lot of the time you, you pick your friend or you pick this person and uh, it's sort of the wrong decision. It's so important to find, you don't, it's very hard to find someone, but who is your sort of yin to your yang and, 
And there is, I can tell you now, there is not a hope in hell I would have uh, made Candy Kittens work without Ed. Not a hope in hell. Um, but on the other side, there, there's a big argument to say that Candy Kittens wouldn't be where it, you know, where it is without me, right? Oh, and I don't know about that. I, do you think that there's a pressure for people to be entrepreneur and business person and ideas yeah. and there's a kind of yeah, yeah. there's this pressure that you have to be able to do everything and actually what you've quite sensibly done is say these are my skill set or this is my skill set this is what I'm really good at this is the sort of platform I have as you mentioned you were just starting made in Chelsea at the time and perhaps you needed someone who had a different type of application and routine and a different mind to sort of complement what you were doing. Yeah, I, I think definitely what happens is we live in this culture now. If you if you go onto Clubhouse or whatever it is like that, people people think they're the next Elon Musk. Like everyone does. They just, <laughs> that's Can I just what ask you, what do you on Clubhouse, do you guys are you with me on this that you think it is the barrier to entry is like someone uses Excel and is like, I'm a tech company and they're hosting. Yeah. Is that, are you guys in the same place as me with that? Yes. It's like, yeah. We were asking yes. ourselves and we just got into the wrong crowd. I think we've just got into a really weird crowd. Of Everybody says they're, like they're all, they're, I'm going to swear they're all fucking bum out. Are you, are you hosting stuff or are you tapping into rooms where they're talking about? Um, At the moment like, we've just been joining rooms, but we're going to start hosting some stuff. And I yeah. think there are some good yeah. smaller kind of conversations going on on like really specific topics where people who actually know what they're talking about, but people that just talk generally about entrepreneurship is just bullshit, right? Because And have you guys been in any rooms with Elon Musk or is it mainly <laughs> no. I was in a room with somebody whose um, cousin's best friend's daughter was in a room with Gary Vee. So they were quite excited about that. Fuck, that is, that's big time. The problem with Clubhouse, right, is that every every social media app is going to replicate it. So uh, people blow up at Clubhouse, but it's Facebook are going to do it. it I, mm. I guarantee all of these social media apps will do it um, pretty soon. So I don't know how it will survive. So you're not, it's not an intrinsic part of your business plan to have a candy. Not right now, but I do think it's, I do think it's quite interesting. I think there are. I do of, think it's interesting. Yeah. It, you know, we'll see how it goes. We're kind of there, and I think like all these things is probably just important to kind of keep your eyes and ears open and and yeah, sort yeah. Of just watch what's happening. I've always said, I've, I said for a long time that audio is is the next big thing still think it now i think audio is going to be huge hence we're doing a podcast now but you know it, it's it has changed right so you know we're seeing each other um whereas audio before was just purely audio now it's it, it's a, it's sort of a different medium in lots of ways but i still think audio is going to be i think we're in yeah, the black and white same. stages of it i really yeah. do i really do and so just circling back to what you were saying before about the idea that um yeah you know, you didn't necessarily seek Ed out, but you guys spent yeah. sort of six months talking, seeing if you liked each other, figuring out if you had a shared vision before you made the decision to actually sort of formally work together. Um, yeah. So, I so had, yeah, as a, oh, sorry, as, a, as you were saying, I, no, I, I think it's an important point, right? You were talking about, so, so an entrepreneur, right, or someone who's starting a business, you a lot of the time what happens is is that you uh you want to feel like you know what you're doing um and it's very hard to be completely self-aware right and you have to have to realize that your set of skills whatever they are you have to find out what those are and you have to also be more aware what you're bad at 
And that is so key with all these, with, with setting up anything. Find out what you're really bad at. Because you, you kind of know what you're good at, right? Like if you can catch a rugby ball, you know you've got coordination. Or if you play an instrument, you know you're good at music. But to, to really discover what you're bad at is the hard thing because you kind of ignore that. So as an entrepreneur, I would always say, realize what you're bad at and find people to do that for you. Um, and I think I was very lucky because I thought at 21 years old, I was a nerd or I thought I was... <laughs> you know, Zuckerberg, I thought all these different things, I don't know what to do. I I had no clue what was going on and still don't a lot of the time. But if you find someone who um, compliments you in lots of different ways, or or if you want to, if you don't even have a co-founder, if you're someone who's hiring someone or looking to hire someone, find someone who does something better than you are or a better set of skills in lots of different ways. I think that's so important. And did you guys know how to set up a company? Did you know how to structure shares and write contracts? Were you kind of, was it a lot of Googling and asking mates or did you feel like you were prepared to kind of formalize an agreement and register the business and structure it? And, you know, perhaps a lot of that information is available online, but you guys were really young. So maybe now a lot more of our contemporaries um, run businesses. There's way more podcasts. You know, nine years ago, there was, was limited literature, certainly for brands that were coming up through social media and um, et cetera. Was that challenging or was it just like, we need to figure it out and we'll talk to people and Google stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think it was quite difficult. I think Jamie and I both, to be honest, have always been happy to ask lots of questions. So that helps. Um, and actually, we were quite lucky that Jamie's stepdad um, was willing to give up a lot of his time in the early days to help us. So he had lots of experience and we were able to ask him endless questions. And, but that was and quite far in, Ed. That, that was quite far but, in. Yeah, right? but I was going to say in the early, early days, to be honest, we made a lot of mistakes when registering the business and kind of setting up the share structure and all that sort of stuff, mainly because we just paid london accountants and lawyers to do that work for us because we just thought okay that's what you have to do okay we're in london let's go and speak to somebody in the city because they know what they're doing with that stuff and that's how it and you know you get recommended to people through others that probably don't run their own business but actually just work at big businesses oh yeah we use this accountant well of course you do you're a you're a hundred million dollar company of course you use that but we didn't need to so we ended up with huge bills we actually had to kind of I think trying to remember it back, but at the time we had a, a crazy bill, like something like sixty thousand pounds. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, was ridiculous huge. for our first year of, of accounting, and and you know now we're paying a lot, lot less than that. Um, nine years later, with a significantly bigger business. Um, so yeah, that was just stupid. And I think nowadays, if you're setting up a business, there's online things that rocket legal or whatever it's called little bits and pieces like that where you can go and download a shareholders agreement and you can get, you can set up a company much much quicker um you, is that something you sorry i think, guys have, sorry, I think so i think what's also uh, like important right is that the the sort of ro- romance of becoming an entrepreneur is always what people like and you know for for me particularly at the beginning it was fun, right? I, I like dressing up in a suit and going to an accountant firm and being like, yeah, we have this business. And, and, and so people like the image of it and which is, which is fine, which is totally cool, but it, it, it's not, it's not theater. It's actually a, a real life thing. So you kind of have to start to realize that. We were, well, playing, we were playing the role and I think we were kind of, we enjoyed going to this business and having- but that's, part yeah. of the, that's part of the learning, right? Like I remember when I started going home and 
having business cards and it said CEO. And my dad yes. was like, you're a pathetic piece of shit. You're a CEO <laughs> of one. Like, get some fucking business. Like, what? who are you giving a business card to? Like, you spend yeah. all your money on, like, fucking three, five, <laughs> whatever. And you just think, you know, there's this, uh, you say the word romance, but I think I was going to ask you guys what the landscape was like back then to be business owners because now, you know, particularly working for lots of brands that are CEO or founder managed, promoting the CEO or founder is a huge part of marketing and PR strategies and having that touch point. And now it's like this real kind of badge of honor. People want to be an entrepreneur. It's aspirational. And there's probably a lot of misinformation from social media where it looks sexy and fun and you're doing a panel and you're posting when you've been you've won an award that no one's ever heard of but you were the only person who could be bothered to fill in the form and you've yeah. got a mate on a panel you know and actually the reality of running it and the kind of sleepless nights and the fear and the like you know all the other stuff gets kind of eclipsed so when you started were you one of the one of the few in your friendship group starting businesses um yeah i think we probably were um but I don't know if we started it for those reasons. I think people now, a lot, like I was saying earlier, people kind of say, oh, I just want to have a business because I want to be an entrepreneur because they've seen that glamorized on social media or whatever. I don't think we were starting it because we really believed in the sweets idea and we found it was really fun and it was kind of right place, right time. We didn't want to go and work for anybody else. We thought this would be kind of an easy way out for us. We could go and do this instead. And that it kind of one thing led to another. But it was, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's so much kind of you got to take the rough with the smooth, right? So we don't spend all day just doing podcasts and speaking on panels and, and posing for photos. Um, we do a lot of hard work in the background and a lot of kind of difficult decisions and really tough um, decisions to make. You know, you kind of everything lands on your shoulders and I feel quite a big responsibility to that as our kind of team grows and everything. You know, it's all down to the decisions we make determine the success of the business. So this. There's so much more to it. And I think a lot of people are probably getting into entrepreneurship for the wrong reasons. I think there's a lot of people out there yes. that probably become entrepreneurs now that would frankly be better off getting a job because that is yeah. better suited to them. And that's no disrespect. I mean, I would be useless at getting a job. So mm. I've, I've gone down this route instead. Um, you know, I think it's, Jamie said about that self-awareness point, I think that's a big part of it. And I think there's almost too much encouragement. We refer back to something like Clubhouse, Instagram accounts like Gary V, people just really pushing this idea that the yeah. only route to success is to be an entrepreneur. I mean, there's so many yeah. mega successful people that have just been corporate, climbed the corporate ladder. And what's wrong with that? Did you guys yeah. ever feel pressure to go into a corporate way of life? Did you ever feel like you needed to go and get a job in a suit in the city? Or were you always aware that there was a different route and were you kind of supported to go and explore that? I think our experience is no, different. I, Jamie, go, you can go. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think it was so. I I just interested with this whole thing because I think ten years ago, um, becoming an entrepreneur was like an, an was a pretty rare thing. You you know you you were kind of conditioned to get A levels. For me personally, uh, but I think a lot of people you're conditioned to get A levels, go to university, get a good degree, then go into a job. That was that was how you were conditioned, right? And and the thought of running a business was like a fantasy almost. That like oh my god, how you know people who run businesses and and were CEOs or whatever were were kind of untouchable almost. They were these sort of huge figures. So so I think I, I think I, I it's really it's really tricky, right? Because I I 
luckily, I was able to discover what I didn't want to do. Pretty uh, that's a, that's what I was able to discover, right? Because I have, was given an allowance and all these different things, so I could do Made in Chelsea, whatever it was. Um, but I think that now becoming, as Ed said, becoming an entrepreneur is like a really sexy term. So everyone wants to do it. You know, anyone who Ed. You know, if Ed speak, Ed always says if he speaks to anyone who he's like hiring or things like that at County Kiddens, they, you know, if, you're, if you say to them, "What's your five year plan?" They will, they will always say, "Oh, I want to start my own business at some point." And it's now this thing because I think we have social media and we all um, believe that everyone, you know, all, all the things that we look at pretty much is, you know, invest in this and do this, and it's, it's just nonsense, right? Um, and but it's really hard to run a business and not trying to push anyone away from it because it's, it's the most fulfilling thing you can do and I think you should definitely do it but I think that uh, people need to be incredibly aware that running a business and doing that comes with yes it's it's fun yes it's all these things but the stress of it as well is is pretty full-on and you don't really make money uh, when you especially in FMCG you don't you don't make money for many years you know it, it, you, it, it's a, it's a non you know you're not making profit you have to raise right. money you have to do this you have to do that um you and have everything to goes back in right because you're investing yeah, and everything in, goes in. back in yeah everything goes back in and you're not going to be driving your Lamborghini in four years that you think you're going to, you know, all these things. And then, and then you have to give away equity because you have to raise more money. And then by the end, you know, the if prime example is the guy who created Love Film. He's a very interesting guy. He then started lost in things. But when he sold Love Film, he had 0.04% of it. <clears throat> and it was sold for 200 million. And, you know, it, this is what happens. You know, people, you know, people think that you make a lot of money and that's your aim to do it. But actually... The greatest thing about starting business, I always say, is it's not about the cash that you make, but it's about what you learn on your journey and how you right. and and the people you meet and the, the fulfillingness of it. it. Cash is a byproduct, I think. Do you think? People, yeah, totally sure. Do you think that um, people are precious about giving away equity because they're so? Predisposed to think they must own as much as possible, and actually, on oh. balance, giving away a percentage for an investment increases the value and therefore the dilution is actually, um, I think the opposite. I think the, I think the opposite, actually, I think <clears throat> what a lot of people do is that equity is very cheap at the beginning, especially. So you give it away easily. Um, and I think a lot of people, because, uh, not a lot of people, but there's, a, I think a huge amount of people, um, want other people to be a part of their business. So what they do is they give away equity at the beginning because it's, easy in giving away cash because you don't have money, right? At the beginning, you give away equity. And actually, the, the most important thing, I think what Ed and I probably did at the beginning is we were quite um, we were quite laxed about that uh, in lots of different ways. So I think what you should do is more people should be conscious of giving away equity at the beginning <clears throat> and be uh, more fierce with it. Yeah, Everybody I think the reality is in the early days, I mean, in our case, we would probably live in a bit more hand-to-mouth, right? So it was like every time we had a the payroll was coming up this month, Okay, how are we going to pay that? Okay, shit. Okay, now we need to get this next bit of money, the next bit of money. And there was all these little hurdles along the way. Um, so I think, you know, that takes takes a lot of maturity to be in a place where you can kind of have real vision and foresight to say, we're building a business that's going to be worth X in 10 years' time. Therefore, we want to own that much of that pie. Um, we right. weren't really in that place. We were just like, okay, if we can survive the next... Three months. <laughs> We're laughing. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to ask: Did you guys 
when you started the business, did you have an exit in mind? Did you feel like, you know, one day you would sell it? Did you feel like you needed to structure it in a certain way for that? Because there are some businesses obviously built to sell. And by the sounds of what you guys did, it was a kind of perfect marriage of passion, interest. You obviously felt that you could add something to a very monopolized market. But did you discover further down the line, actually, you know, there's a decision here, which is either this is a great business that yields us a good, you know, number on a salary, et cetera, or our, our payout is when we sell it. And and was that conscious <coughs> at the beginning or was it just halfway I think, yeah, I think you probably, yeah. I think the idea of that changes as you go through it, it kind of up and down. And I think when you first start, anybody starting a business and definitely in our naivety, when we, we were um, starting out in 2012, we probably thought, oh, great, we're going to be millionaires. Um, we'll build this business and we'll flip it and great, we'll, we'll be rich forever. And then I think as you grow, well, you how realize good was that case. it was amazing. I'd love to go back there. Um, that was definitely our superpower, but you know, then you kind of get real and you go, okay, I, I love this business. I don't want to, I don't want to sell. Why would I want to sell? Um, let's make it the biggest thing in the world and just keep it forever. And then, you know, that changes again, perhaps at different points where different opportunities arise. So yeah, I think if you build a business purely to sell it, you'll end up building quite a strange business because you don't put your heart and soul into that. You don't, it's like, um, uh, my wife and I just sold our house and we knew when we bought this house that we were going to sell it. So all the walls are just painted white because <laughs> that's an easy thing to sell. You know, you don't go and put up that wallpaper that you really want because not everybody's going to like that. And I think it's the same with a business. You're not going to really put all of your individual touch and heart and soul in something that you know, you're then going to go and sell. Um, so my recommendation would be to build a business that you can really, really get behind and, and hold on to yeah. forever. And if you sell it, yeah, that, great. That, 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 I think this is a really, really good point. So, <clears throat> that, you know, I, I found this statistic out the other day that 53% of German businesses are still family run, right? And, and Germany's the third biggest economy in the world. It's a really interesting fact. I think we have this vision, right? And, and I think it becomes uh, down to greed that people want to, uh, sell a business <clears throat> to buy a car or buy a bigger house and all these different things. And that's wonderful and great. But actually, um, I think people should have more of a long-term goal with these things. And, and, and that's what I really believe in. Firstly, setting up a business is hard. Making a business profitable is even harder. Um, and sustaining that is, is really hard. And if you manage to do that, well done to you in whatever capacity it is or whatever length that is. Um, so I think that um, I think that more and more at the beginning, you have this vision that you want to sell a business and you want to make 200 million and you want to do this and that, which is a lovely goal to have. But having a business and sustaining it and giving it to your younger generations, if you think you're going to have kids and stuff like that, or giving to it, it's, a, it's way cooler. You know, one of our, um, I would probably say that one of our sort of, big mentors in life and, and actually someone who um, is part of a business guy, a guy who runs catches, who is a manufacturer's guy called Bastion, really amazing guy in lots of different ways. Um, you know, they've run that business uh, who they make our sweets and they look at, you know, they're, you know, they're incredibly well. They, they've run that business for a hundred years and they've still run it. And, you know, Bastion will then give it on to his kids and things like that. And, and that is a way cooler thing to do. Cause if you create a business, Keep hold of it. Make it a generational thing. That is way better in every single way than just selling it out and doing that, in my opinion. I think it's also... Sorry, sorry, go on, Emily. No, I was going to say, do you think there's a distortion of 
how you measure success now in the sense that it's sort of this perceived big check and sell out and ringing a bell and whatever. And actually what you're saying is there's a reality, which is if you want to be successful, you have to work fucking hard for 20, 30, 40 years. There's not this sort of, I'm going to be a millionaire in two years. That's just not, you know, the five people who've done that. And I think also the character traits in somebody that can build a big business are the, also the same character traits that are going to make you bored out of your mind if you sell up and sit on the beach. So I'm somebody, Jamie is somebody, you're somebody that likes to be busy. Um, we keep up, we keep putting more and more stuff on our plates, not less and less. So name me somebody that sold their business and, and built a really busy, good business and is super happy with their life afterwards. There's a reason yeah. why the biggest people in the world, the Jeff Bezos, the Bill Gates, the Richard Branson's, keep working until they die. And, and you know, I was listening to a good podcast the other day with um, William Chase, the guy who started Tyrrell's. He sold Tyrrell's. He then immediately went, fuck, what do I do now? Then starts, started Chase Vodka. They make vodka and gin and everything else. I think they then, they've sold that last year to Diageo. He's now started Willie's Cider Vinegar. Mm. And it's like, oh, that's a kind of really good example of a guy that's made this really big business, thinks selling's the answer, and then like, ah, I need to mm-hmm. do something else, sells again, and then instantly goes into something else. Mm-hmm. He's got enough money, I'm sure, to put his feet up and not ever work again. But And his son, who, yeah. his son, who's a contemporary of ours, runs ran Chase Vodka. Yeah. So his yeah, son yeah. ran it. So it sort of became this family family. Yeah, entity. totally. Yeah. Uh, but but also, you know, Alex Ferguson, the manager of Man United, said it very well. He they everyone kept asking him when he was going to retire. And he said, uh, if I retire, I'm waiting to die. So why would I ever retire? And it's such a good point, right? It's so true. I think we have this whole thing that we want to go and live in Barbados and play golf for the rest of our lives. But actually, you know, the the, the best thing, honestly, you know, there's this statistic where 72,000, if you earn 72,000 euros a year, you're the, the happiest you can be in terms of financial gain. Statistically, right? Any more, it creates a lot of problems. Any less, you want more. So 72,000 is actually the problem, which is a lot of money, right, for a lot of people. It's, it's a huge amount of money. But it's not a crazy amount of money also at the same time. Um, so, Having a business and running a business is so fulfilling and so wonderful in lots of different ways. Also comes with its challenges, but keep hold of that. Don't give it away. Don't sell it. What's the, you know, why? why? You guess because you can buy your house and lease it because that's what you think. But actually doing all of that and do it, you know, forever. I, I honestly think that's a, a great thing. Unless you want to be a serial entrepreneur and you want to start loads of different businesses and do different things and, and change that. And that's great. And if you do that, wonderful. Well done to you because it's hard. But I always think, hold on to it. Well, yeah, because you're essentially just building value as you go, aren't you? Yeah. You're everything you're learning and everything you're putting in. Um, Ed, you mentioned earlier that when you started, you guys went, you know, like trotted off to the city to go and meet some lawyers with some big fees because that's sort of what you were instructed to do. Um, I guess when you start... Where, you know, as you develop in your career, you realize that everyone has opinions and everyone has advice. And part of the skill is sort of absorbing and taking on what's relevant to you and what's useful, but also understanding that it's not all relevant and you can let some of that go. Have you had mentors in your career who have helped you? And if you have, how did that come about? Was that as organic as your uh relationship with Ed, Jamie, where you yeah. got to know one another and it worked? Or did you, did people seek you out? Or were you, was it a formal introduction? How did the kind of mentorship piece 
work and how has it benefited you? Yeah, I, I think yeah. it's, I think, it, it, sorry, yeah, again, it goes back to being self-aware, right? You you have to have someone who compliments you. And I always say that Ed and I like a triangle. We we start at two different points, but we end at the same place. And I think that's really good. And, and that goes back to a goal, right? Um, Ed and I have never had, we have, you know, Ed's definitely had, we've never really had an argument, really. Um, uh, because we, because we had the same goal, right? You know, the goal of Candy Kittens was always, we're creating a sweet company. We want to make the best sweet possible. That was that was it, right? Have you ever had to convince Ed on an idea? Have you ever had to sell him on on something? <laughs> I mean, when I, I I melted chocolate around a sweet once and said this is going to be a great idea and, and gave it to him, and he said this is bad. I didn't that's, yeah, that's not on ourselves yet, is it? No, <laughs> yeah, not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, no. Keep an eye out. because because you have to also have trust, right? It's so much about trust, and. You know, it's, it's trust with money or it's trust with ideas and you have to do And it, it goes back again to that idea where um, you just have to be incredibly self-aware about what you're bad at and 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 find someone who knows better and be willing to learn. You know, again, at the beginning, we all want to believe that if, you know, if you, if we, we all have this vision of ourselves, right? That we're going to, you know, we all dream, right? We're going to be this, we're going to be that, but you have to be realistic. And I think that when you um, have a, fa- have a co-founder or the great thing about mentors is, is having that trust and belief and understanding that they're going to teach you and you're going to learn, but also do, you know, with the co-founder, they're going to do their job and whatever they say is right. Always be, be agreeing because, Again, it's it's hard. I don't know. I feel like I sound like a, a Debbie Downer, but running a business is so hard. I and mean, you know this. It is so hard, and it is so stressful. And you are not. You, you're looking after other people's lives, right? So you're you're employing people, and you're you're paying their 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 wages and all these things. So you have a lot of responsibility. So there has to be a lot of trust there as well. I think right, and that decision making too, right? Like you know, there's kind of a a paralysis in purgatory like you've got to make a decision and if it's wrong you'll deal with the consequences and if it's right you will but if you don't make the decision then then nothing happens and I think you you know the um there's got to be pace with stuff right like if you if you sit for too long with something you know you can kind of talk yourself in or out of anything and I know that Jamie you've said before on um you know, podcasts that I've briefly heard in a taxi as I've walked past and heard it through the window. Um, you listening to my podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> you're um, but, uh, but you've talked before about the idea of, um, like failure in failure kind of being mandatory and it particularly as a kind of American idea and theme. Do you think that that is, um, that, that resilience is a really key part of running a business because you're kind of tri- like the way I would describe it is you're running down a rugby field and you're getting tackled. And every time you get, yeah. every time you get up and you, sometimes you get to the halfway line and you just go, do you know what guys actually take the ball, take, have, <laughs> yeah, take the ball. it. Take honestly, it. I can't, I can't sustain it. And I guess that, that resilience is sort of, part and parcel of running a business would you agree yeah with that i think i think i think that is such a key point resilience is everything um and that and rugby analogy is great because i remember i had a rugby coach who kept saying i wasn't very good but i knew i was good and it used to annoy me and i used to kept going so it, it's interesting but uh, yeah resilience is everything i think that firstly um 
you know, it's that cheesy saying failure is is definitely a, a necessity. You have to fail in lots of different ways. And for, for Ed and I, it was picking the wrong lawyers, right? You know, you have to understand all these different things or 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 making a packet of sweets with the branding where it didn't really, you know, it was blurry on the back. So you couldn't really read the ingredients. And we, you know, all these things you have to, you first you have to fail at. Um, and resilience is key i honestly believe persistence is what leads to success if you're persistent at something it, it will work uh, you know we when i did my podcast private parts right when i started it for example um we didn't get any listeners really for about six months and we were doing a weekly one we did it every single week and i said don't worry about it don't worry keep going keep going and gary v of all people <laughs> talks about this that it doesn't matter if one people one person or or, or two people are looking at a brand or 100 people people want every every day they want they go, i want a million people to to notice my brand it doesn't matter you have to build it over over a long time overnight success is false um it's a bad thing i think because you don't get brand loyalty uh, brand loyalty takes a long time um i think brand loyalty it takes takes about five, six years. I honestly think it does for someone to start to really notice and, and uh, believe your brand. Um, and you have to be resilient during that time. And that goes back to belief and trust in yourself. You have to believe and trust in the process that you're doing and, and have a vision of where you want to end up. You have to have a goal of where you want to go and always have a direction. So resilience is everything. I think. I think it's true. I think also people talk about the, the failures as kind of like too literal. You kind of assume that there'll be this point in time where you'll go, okay, that was a failure, that was a failure, that was a failure. Whereas actually, it's more, I think, the resilience of just being able to constantly keep pushing through the challenges. So 2020 yeah. is a good example where you go, okay, shit, we're all going to go work from home for a, a couple of weeks. And then you're still at home and then you can't, then you get through that. And then for us, you know, we got through to the end of 2020, you feel like, okay, I've got this under control now. We know, we know how to deal with this thing. Let's take a breath and everything's going to be better in 2021. Then you get hit with Brexit and then this whole other kind of new shit storm yeah. of, of problems to overcome. So you, you always, it's not, it's never going to be plain sailing. You're never just going to be able to sit back and just sort of face a nice flat, easy road but that is running a business it's not like i wouldn't define them necessarily as individual failures so the whole thing is just a, a nightmare in that respect yeah, it's a nightmare listen Ev, i am so rude i've just got an email through that i'm meant to be jumping on something else right now is that is that very busy no it's fine i'm, I'm so sorry I, I literally just popped up can you just will you better continue with that is that okay i'm so sorry to all you listeners I, and every single person i'm so sorry that's I've just very generous seen... of you to assume multiple listeners <laughs> <laughs> no it's, of course but i just i want to apologize to you and to everyone i've just seen the email is that okay and i'm so I sorry your apology Thank you so much. Thank you okay, so guys. much for making the time. Bye, mate. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, bye. I wanted to ask you about um, team because in your role, presumably, you know, you're, you're hiring, you're figuring out who's right for the brand and the vision. And in the early days, I think that can be quite difficult in the sense that as an evolving business and brand. And, you know, famously, I heard you say that you were a sweets company for two years without any sweets. So yeah. you are hiring people that potentially the business could outgrow within six months. You don't necessarily have budgets for C-suite team members. You're kind of uh, training on the go, but actually management and training is an unbelievably uh, time heavy job. And uh, have you found 
that's been challenging? Have you had issues with personnel? Have you made bad hires? Have you spent a lot of money on recruitment? And and kind of have, what have you learned from building a team and 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 I guess bringing people on the journey with a business that has such a personality and is so brand led? Yeah, I think there's a sort of I mean we've we've really gone through a an evolution, I suppose, in the way we think about team. Um, in the early days, it was kind of a, okay, we need more hands on deck. Uh, this guy who my mate used to go to uni with, he can, he's got, he's free this summer. Let's get him in. Uh, this guy's another friend of a friend. Let's get him or her in. And we just sort of employed mates, to be honest, our first probably five or six people. And it was kind of a, who do we get on with? Who can we have a laugh with in the office? And, and, and that worked. Um, and I think there's a misconception in the, at the beginning where you think I'm going to build a team to save me time. And actually, I'm realizing now that probably 50% of my job is about people. It's all about the team. So whether that is hiring, um, sadly, in some cases, firing, um, training, developing people, uh, managing the culture, developing how we want our team to behave, whatever it may be, 50% of my effort on a weekly basis is probably going into our team. So it doesn't necessarily save you time it allows you to as a company to achieve more and have more um, projects on the go i suppose but it also is a huge huge i don't want to use the word burden but it's a huge um responsibility responsibility and part of your time yeah that you have to use to manage that so we now focus purely on bringing in ambitious smart people which things like an, an obvious thing to say um but much more focused on bringing in somebody really smart and they can figure out the job later um, rather than going, okay, we're hiring for a um, D to C manager, somebody to run our website. We really desperately need somebody that's run a D to C website for another confectionery brand or for another food brand before, which is actually not really the case. You need somebody with a certain element of skills, but the sweets bit they can learn the FMCG bit they can learn and if they're really smart, they'll kind of turn their hand to it. So that's much more of our kind of hiring um, objective now is to really find smart people that bring a positive kind of ambitious attitude to the team. And ultimately, then I think we have a team of entrepreneurs, if you like. We have that kind of mindset as a group, not just I'm here to do a job and I clock in and clock out. We're all in it together. And I guess you're not hiring someone who's perfect on day one, right? There's an understanding from the business that they're sort of, for want of a better word, malleable enough to to become the the role and the person that you need them to be and want them to be, whilst also them developing their career. Definitely. I mean, in our team, you know, it's a small team, um, and we're trying to achieve more than we should be able to. So we're always punching above our weight. Um, and in order to do that, I think you've got to roll your sleeves up and be happy to pick up any job that that falls on your desk that day. So, you know, even though we might have a team that's defined by sales, marketing, ops, finance, the finance person probably does get involved in quite a lot of sales conversations and the marketing team get involved in a lot of ops conversations and whatever that may be. So, yeah, you've got to be able to turn your hand to different things. Right, and communicate internally, presumably, as a as a business that's Definitely. trying to do lots of things. Um, so just, I'm conscious of your time, but I've just got two more okay. things I wanted to, to cover with you. Um, how, I wanted to ask you about um, routine and how you prioritize in your day, because, you know, the purpose of this podcast, obviously the busyness podcast, you know, everyone's busy, everyone's trying to do more. You 
you know, got married, bought, sold the house, <laughs> running a business, you know, there's yeah. a pandemic. You've I want to talk to you at the end a little bit about just what you're what you're trying to do in the US. But is there have you used tools like Todoist and do you run a very tight calendar? Are you do you have a PA? Are you how have you managed what is pr- presumably a significant workload? Also, you know, in the last years, particularly probably an increased um emotional requirement from a remote team and also trying to sort of manage and learn on on the go in a pandemic which obviously none of us have experienced before have you found it quite natural and easy to be organized or has it been something that you've really had to learn um i've always been quite lucky i think in in that i can quite easily switch off from work so i can really compartmentalize okay i've I've closed my laptop. I'm not working now. And I can go and have dinner with my wife and chill. Um, that's just a, a, a lucky skill set. And I appreciate that that is unusual, um, that I can do that. Um, for me, I think prioritizing what is really important and constantly asking yourself what is important and is this really important is something that I'm doing every hour of the day, kind of subconsciously now. But you have to... It's so, so easy to get sucked into a rabbit hole of a project or an idea or something. You know, you, I don't know, get distracted by the shiny latest thing. So um, Harrods would like to stock our product, as an example. That might, an email might come in and you go, wow, so exciting, Harrods. That's really, really amazing. Whereas actually the thing you should be thinking about is the Tesco opportunity that's worth X millions of pounds that could really step change the business. Whereas Harrods might be this really nice name but they're never going to order anything in the same sort of quantity as Tesco. And that's just a, a random example, perhaps, but the sort of thing that can distract you. For me, it's about having systems and whatever those systems might be. I don't use Todoist, but I just use the, the notes on um, my iPhone. And because of that, then links with my iPad and my, my Mac and everything, wherever I am, I've got that same list of notes. And we use really good tech like Slack to stay in touch with the team. And we have G Suite for the business. So those things, I think... Whatever works for you, I think is good, but definitely have some kind of system. Um, I think little things like preparing yourself for the day ahead, preparing yourself for the week ahead. So looking at your calendar and going, right, these are the things I'm going to achieve this week. This is how I'm going to do it. Um, That's how I approach it. I appreciate it's different for everybody. But I think one thing I would say is, as being in the position I've been in over the last 12 months is prioritizing the team above anything else. So if something has to give, I'm happy for it to be a customer meeting. I'm happy for it to be a supplier meeting. I'm happy for it to be my own inbox, whatever it may be, but but never, ever cancel on the team. Never, ever turn turn down that call with somebody that needs to speak to you or somebody in the team that needs five minutes of your day. Um, because if you can kind of keep that team running, the other bits can figure themselves out in your own time. Um, so that's the bit that never compromise on the team. Yeah, team first. It's really good advice. Yeah. Um, what's been your most expensive mistake? Has it been personnel or developing a product that didn't work or flying somewhere for something mm-hmm. that you need to be at? Or what's, you know, category or specific, what's been the most expensive mistake? Most expensive mistake, probably to be honest, the one we referenced earlier, we're just getting really expensive lawyers and accountants to work on something that we didn't need. Um, and then we've done other bits and pieces. I think there's generally probably comes down to people, I think, not hiring, not knowing when to fire somebody is a really expensive mistake. So whether that is, <laughs> go on. 
No, I was going to say, is that not knowing when to fire someone or is that knowing when to fire them but sitting on the decision for too long? Yeah, exactly that. So just, you know, when you've got that feeling in your stomach, this person's not right. Um, and this happened to us a few years ago and you then sit on it for a long time and you thought, convince yourself things are going to be better, partly because you're not, you don't, you know, you're not confident to make the decision, but you also probably are a little bit scared to make that, have the conversation because it's not very pleasant. Um, And then you sit on that and then that turns into a much more difficult conversation the later it gets in that person's employment or whatever the circumstances may be. So yeah, that is probably, I think can always be quite expensive. So one of the things, um, kind of to finish, one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning that's in the grand plan is a launch into the US, which is no small feat. And it's lots of brands have done it successfully, lots of brands have not. It's sort of like launching into like 50 different countries at the same time. I'm sure there is so much complexity to that aside from um, import and packaging laws and uh, ingredients and the taste palette of Americans is different. So maybe you have to create different formulas. Uh, different postage, different insurance, you know, it must be an enormous task. Is that something that you've hired specifically for? Is that something you've got fears about? Is it something you're excited about? Have you been ready for it for a long time? Does it feel like a kind of natural next step? Or um, can you just talk to me a little bit more about that? Because, you know, it is a significant part of the the growth of the business in the next couple of years. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think that... um, it's an interesting one. I think the US is kind of like the holy grail for so many different businesses, just the, the sheer scale of the US. And it's this big, exciting um, land of opportunity. And I think that we've sort of built it slowly. So we started a slightly different strategy. In the, in the UK, it was for us, let's just launch the product and get into a supermarket as quickly as we can. And let's sort of start at the top and work backwards from there. So lots of brands would start by selling in a, their local farm shop or their local news agents first and, and local markets and then build up a, uh, a sort of following, build up the demand and then go to Tesco and say, we've got this really big demand. We've proven ourselves all over the country. Now we need to be in Tesco. For us, we went, <laughs> we went straight in at the top and then kind of filled in afterwards. Whereas in the US, we've done it the other way. So we've, we started probably three or four years ago selling to kind of speciality retailers, department stores, um, and, and just having a footprint and that allowed us to go out to the trade shows and exhibit in the US and start building our name within the trade. Um, and then l- earlier this, you know, towards the end of last year, sorry, December, November, December last year, we launched Nationwide with Walmart. So super exciting. Um, Walmart are the largest retailer on the planet, um, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. We've never been to their offices. I've met them at numerous trade shows around the world. Um, in kind of passing, probably, you know, pestered their inboxes for the last three years, became a real nuisance until they eventually gave in over a Zoom call sometime in March. Um, And then next thing we know, without ever being there or visiting, our products are available on shelves at Walmarts all over the country. So huge, huge achievement and and really, really pleased. But the, the reality is that the hard work starts now. It's very... It's step one to get on the shelves, and now you've got to make sure people buy them. So for us, the that's the bit we're doing now. We've not hired a team yet. We're working with some partners in the US. We've got some great distributors um, that know the market better than we do, so they are the kind of experts on the ground, but it's a, a sort of third-party relationship. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's going okay. It's it's not kind of by any means set in the world alight at the moment. I don't think uh, many Americans will, will know who we are, but – it's a foot in the door and we're getting there and it's where we want to be. So 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. And I think that comes back a little bit to the distractions I talked about earlier. The US is e- an easy distraction. And, and I'm sure lots of businesses, particularly in the food and drink space, would talk about horror stories about trying to launch in the US and taking your eye off the ball and then losing your whole business in the UK. And we definitely don't want to do that. So the UK for us, we still believe we can grow probably another 10 times or more in the UK. So that that has to be our focus. We have to keep the team, especially, focused on the UK. So I'm trying to kind of manage that US bit on the side. And if it turns into something big, then it does. Um, but yeah, kind of watch this space. It's all sort of unfolding at the moment. So so your side hustle is your, your evening job. <laughs> side hustle, of, yeah, it's probably yeah. the US. Yeah. <laughs> Just a minor one. Talk, yeah, exactly. We talked about, um, in the last hour, we talked about resilience, about trusting your gut, about team first, about making decisions, not sort of hesitating. Is there one lesson or learning that you feel you would give advice to someone looking to start a business? Perhaps they are very busy not doing much. They're sort of busying themselves, as you say, with distractions or the sexy things. Is there a piece of advice from your sort of almost decade running a business that you would impart to help someone take the next step? Yeah, I think there's a few key things and probably two that spring to mind. One is know where you're going, know where you want to go, which sounds obvious, but I think a lot of people get so into the product. So you say, okay, I've um, created this brilliant new breakfast cereal, but I don't really know what to do with it. I'm not sure if I might sell it at the market, I might sell it at this place. Might. We went into it going, okay, we know there's an opportunity to knock Haribo off their perch let's go after that and be completely focused on knocking Haribo off their perch. Really simple. And I think that's, that's key having a clean, clear direction. So then, you know, if we do knock Haribo off our perch, then we've got off their perch, then we've got a real viable business that's going to make money and be something that we can hold on to. Um, And another thing I would say is just to be, to be fast. So people spend probably too much time behind closed doors coming up with this perfect blueprint for a business and trying to sort of cancel out all of these risks you know they do their SWOT analysis and, and look at all of the different um, weaknesses and then try and work for hours and hours to try and delete all of those whereas like real life just isn't like that so for me it's about going to be quick you said earlier that I've mentioned before we were a sweets business without sweets for two years we just went in right in the deep end and said hey we're here we're candy kittens let's go and then figured the rest out. Um, I don't know if it's the perfect way, but I think that putting yourself out there and just getting on with it, and, and a lot of it in the early days is kind of fake it till you make it kind of stuff. Um, but just be quick. And I think the people that probably uh, fail are the ones that sit on their idea for too long, which is also probably a British thing. I think we're too scared to, to put our cards on the table. Um, some of the things that Jamie and I talk at, some of the events, people we meet, people often say, oh, we've got this idea. I'd love your advice, but I can't tell you what the idea is yet because I haven't told anybody. And I just feel like pulling my hair out because I'm like, come on, just say the idea, put it out there. And what, yeah, you know, what, are, you afraid of? what are you afraid of? <laughs> yeah, you haven't just invented uh, bottled water, so go for it. Really good advice. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy. I really appreciate it. And no problem at all. I'm excited to watch you guys grow tenfold in the UK and crack the US. I've got no doubt that, that you'll be able to do it. And I will you know admire from the side and be very proud to no, thank you very very much and good luck with the podcast i hope it all goes well for you